the Leonard Lopate at large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Two champions of the pro-truth pledge, Tim Ward and Dr. Gleb Sapersky, have written Pro-Truth, a Practical Plan for Putting Truth Back into Politics, a book that feels especially timely these days. Mr. Ward is a communications expert based in Washington, D.C., and Dr. Sapersky is the board chair of Intentional Insights. Their book is published by Changemakers Books, and it brings Tim Ward to our show now. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Good day to you. The uh, I hope you're not just saying that. I hope that's really the your your true feeling. Uh, the 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 Trump pre- the Trump presidency began with false claims about the size of the crowd at his inauguration and ended with false claims about the legitimacy of the 2020 election. He also lied about the pandemic and climate change, earlier about birtherism, and even one of his staunchest defenders, Mitch McConnell, in talking about the protests on January 6th, said on the Senate floor this week, quote, the mob was fed lies. Is that amount of lying unique to the Trump presidency? I think so. I don't think we've ever had a president lie in such a continuous stream. It's it's actually, I I think a term has been invented, a fire hose of of lies. And it almost seems as if the strategy of the the now ex-president was to keep the lies coming so fast that nobody could possibly respond to them all. We'd just be bowled over by by the constant stream. It was frankly exhausting and i'm sure many of your listeners felt that too that just trying to to pay attention war would would wear you down um i felt such relief yesterday when, when the inauguration was finally done uh, so we I should really assume took, took courage so yeah. we should assume that joe biden isn't going to lie you say Lying politicians have always challenged our democracy, and you cite Watergate, Iran-Contra, Monica as examples. How were they different from what we've seen in recent years? Well, I mean, absolutely. I think all politicians are tempted to lie, and there are certain strictures in place that prevent them from doing it. And, you know, if you look at previous presidents who lied, like Nixon, you know, the, the when the, the media got a got a hold of, uh, of of Watergate, broke that story, and you know he ended up resigning rather than being impeached. Um, Bill Clinton seems right now to be a pretty tiny lie compared to what <laughs> what mm-hmm. Trump put us through. But still, he was he was impeached, and uh, Al Gore I think suffered for it in his campaign. American people tended not to forgive presidents who lied to their to their people. Um, with with Trump. I think, although the election was close, at least some of the weight has been because people had enough of the persistent lies. And indeed, although all politicians are tempted to lie, to hold them accountable, to punish them, to to make the lies stick and to make it not acceptable to have our leaders lie to us is something that we as a citizenry have to do. We can't rely on the media as the same way we used to, because social media has become such a platform for spreading misinformation. So I, I took heart in what Biden said yesterday. Defend the truth, defeat the lies. Let's hold him to that. And you write that both you and your co-author share a fundamental belief that truth is essential for democracy. So um, should we be concerned that our democracy uh, has been endangered? Absolutely. And I don't and I think we would be naive to think that the danger is past. The lies that um, Trump has helped to sow uh, have undermined uh, faith in our electoral system, has undermined faith in our, our medical system. Um, you know, there's the old uh, the old saying, uh, a lie is halfway around the world before the truth is put its pants on. Um, those people now have false beliefs. I mean, you start off with alternative facts you ended up creating an alternative reality that way too many Americans live in. And it will take work bringing people back to a sense of truth as a shared reality and not some fantasy that one can create in a world of how you'd like it to be. Um, Part of that for the new administration is going to mean being honest with people, and it's going to mean facing hard facts when they don't line up with what they may want to put forward as their, their agenda. 
those who cheered the demise of Trump have to be ready to be vigilant to make sure that the incoming president lives up to that pledge to defend the truth. But is this solely an American thing? Uh, do your concerns apply to what happened during the Brexit referendum debate in the UK as well? Absolutely. We write about this in our in our book, uh, and indeed, uh, well, that's why I brought it up. Big lies that was part of. Yeah, one of the big lies uh, in the Brexit campaign was that uh, the UK was going to have three hundred and fifty um, uh, billion pounds a year that they could then put back into their national health service. Well. Not only is that not materialized, but it's now quite clear that there are going to be serious economic losses mm -hmm. that Brexit is going to cause, at least in the uh, in the in the short term, if not if not longer. And beyond the UK, you take a look at how um, how post-truth politics have led to authoritarian regimes in in Turkey, in Hungary, in uh, in Poland, and of course Russia, where democracies have been eroded as people have allowed strong populist leaders to lie and lie again. And we say in our book that when you start with lies, you end up with incompetence, corruption, and authoritarianism. And I believe this has really shown itself true, not just in the United States, but in other nations that have made this slide. You use the word post-truth. It was named Word of the Year in 2016 by the Oxford Dictionary, which defined it as, quote, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So that's what we're really talking about? Yes, that's, the, that's what post-truth means. And in practice, what it means is politicians are rewarded by telling people what they want to hear rather than what's true. And in the case of Trump, it meant crafting this alternative world of a victimized white evangelical America that was simultaneously losing power and becoming great again, both the politics of grievance and also a, a, a national, a, a kind of a rising nationalism for only certain Americans. So he fed that narrative. He shaped it. He told them what they wanted to hear because he'd been a real estate con man for so many years that I think came naturally to him. But he truly invited people into this world that made them feel better, even though it was not a true world. And when the facts didn't line up, everything from the facts of the pandemic, destroying the, uh, the, 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 the economy that we had, to the facts of him losing the vote, rather than tell the truth, he kept feeding the lie. Now, this is this is a dire situation for any democracy, and uh, part of the, the point that we make in pro-truth is it's up to citizens to hold their leaders accountable, and the pro-truth pledge, which is connected with the book, is one way that we can start to do that. But is this anything new? Didn't Friedrich Nietzsche uh, argue nearly 150 years ago that humans create the concepts through which they define the good and the just, thereby replacing the concept of truth with the concept of value and grounding reality in the human will and, and will to power. Well, Leonard, you just mentioned my favorite philosopher of all time. I actually was mm -hmm. a, uh, studied philosophy in, uh, in my university years, and I find that what Nietzsche has to say about truth, how it has been understood in the past, is really important. Um, his, his perspective... His, his ultimate philosophy was one of perspectivism, which is you have to hear lots of different perspectives to get a better sense of a shared reality. But I would say Nietzsche was concerned with a kind of definition of truth that you could call a large T truth. The, the reality is we live in a world of small T truths. When we um, go and get our coffee in the morning, we don't wonder whether or not uh, we're going to be drinking cyanide. It could be. There's no absolute cheat way you cannot be 100% be, be sure. But there are a lot of things that we trust because they are common sense, small t truths. This was, if you like, Hume's rejoinder to a lot of skeptical philosophy. Um, and this is what we really talked about in the book. Did this happen? Did something happen at a place in time? If, so if I say, look, I had oatmeal for breakfast at the Tasty Diner in downtown Bethesda on April the 20th. 
if you, uh, Leonard, were sharing breakfast with me on that day, you would be able to note I either ate a bowl of oatmeal or I didn't at that mm-hmm. place in time. That's what we mean in terms of small p truths that you need to have a consensus on for democracy to work. But what happens when the untruth is exposed and people don't seem to care? You note that too many voters were ready to overlook Trump's many lies. I mean, it it goes all the way back to the very beginning when we had photographic proof that he didn't have the, uh, the, the greatest attendance at his inauguration in the history of the United States. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Um, this is really disturbing. I think there's two kinds of people who are ready to believe a lie like that. There's some who really want to take the truth from an authority figure. Hey, this has got a long biblical tradition behind it, right? You know, the, the lawgivers, the truth, the truth-tellers of Abrahamic um, uh, religions would speak a fiat truth. It would be true because they said so. And people within that tradition find it easy just to believe an authoritarian, a leader who they see as, as an authority. So some might simply believe it rather than trust their own eyes. The old line, who are you going to believe, you, me or your lion eyes? Then there are others who find a strategic value in repeating something that's said, even though they know it's a lie, but there's political, there's political gain. This, uh, if I could keep using religious metaphors, is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's treating something you know a lie as if it's a truth because you stand to gain from it. And some of those, um, uh, some of those elected members of Congress who uh, who are, are were going on about election fraud, they knew that wasn't happening. I, I strongly suspect, and yet they felt political gain trying to get Trump's base to follow them. Those people, there may be a special circle of hell for because they are really undermining our democracy. Um, The first half, you could educate. You could perhaps forgive the second half. You have to make sure they do not contaminate our democracy, kick them out of office, expose them for being ready to promote something that they know is a lie. You mentioned religion. Uh, People accept the claims of differing religions as truth, often uh claims that contradict the other religions' claims. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and this is, this is fortunately in that realm of large T truth that in the book Pro-Truth we stay away from. Um, people's religious beliefs are connected to their stories and the mythologies that resonate powerfully with their values. And uh, people who have a more, I want to say, a more studied approach to it can see those stories as mythologically true without insisting that they are true in a kind of fundamentalist way, because the stories really are inspiration for our our values. Um, the, The fights and wars and religious wars in which people have gotten killed over have a lot more to do with, well, did this actually happen? Is this, is this bone of the saint sacred? Is, um, is, is that piece of property holy? People keep killing each other for, for what they believe is most holy and most right, and that is one of the tragedies in, in our world today. Um, so it's not surprising that religions disagree with each other. They will never all agree. Those are just different perspectives on um, universal truths, and if we really got to the values behind them, we would probably discover that there's not so much difference. My guest today on Leonard Lopez at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM streaming live at WBAI.org is Tim Ward, co-author with Gleb Sapersky of Pro-Truth, A Practical Plan for Putting Truth Back into Politics. The reason I even brought up religion is I was wondering whether shared untruths are tribal. Uh, Do they uh, come, do, pe- do people come to view uh, people from other tribes as enemies rather than uh, uh, which would then allow them to attack them? Yes, you're talking about um, the, the fact that as a species we are naturally drawn to tribal organizations, right? That's how we evolved through all these millennia that got us to where we are today. And, it's and people are calling Donald Trump. 
people are calling Donald Trump's followers a cult. Yeah, yeah, and there's some books that have been written about it that show remarkable similarity between Trump followers and cult cult members. The um, the larger point that we would make is the beauty of American democracy is it's been a way to allow pe people in this country to exist as different tribes. And they were tribal, you know, way, you know, back at the time of the, the American Revolution. And this document that, that uh, became the American Constitution allowed people with different ideas of those big T truths, different value systems, different tribes that they felt allied to, whether it was a religious tribe or a cultural group, um, could come together around a table and say, okay, how can we hammer out compromise through votes, through peaceful uh, transfers of power, and through an understanding that we are all Americans, a sort of one tribe above our several tribes. And one of the things that Trump has done is he seriously frayed that larger sense of one American tribes uh, under which our smaller tribes exist and, and pitted people into those who are true Americans, patriots, and those who are not, often those who are not being minority groups, um, anybody who doesn't fit the, 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 the norm of the older white patriarchal group that Trump seems to resonate with so, so strongly. So that's what we have to do. We have to get away from this, this sub, the, the, these lesser tribes and come back to the greater tribe of one nation. And frankly, from my perspective, also go beyond that and look to the large human tribe and beyond that to the planetary tribe see ourselves not only as one nation but as one as one planet all of which needs to be taken into account and all of which needs to be cared for that's a big ask but really we all do live on one small planet and we don't take care of it none of us are going to thrive well although its claims are continually disproved QAnon continues to have thousands of followers, including some members of, of Congress. Uh, so why do you think they continue to believe even after uh, their uh, untruths are exposed? The claims, for example, they claim that, that the, the, I think that the country was supposed to come to an end or American democracy was supposed to come to an end yesterday. And now a bunch of them are disappointed. Yes, that's that's right. The the belief was that Trump was going to somehow miraculously continue to be president, uh, and it was almost a religious disappointment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it was almost a, a religious event they were waiting to have happen. In fact, if you look at the the conspiracy itself, it had this really interesting religious implications, right? The the enemy Democrats were supposed to be a satanic ring of of pedophiles, crazy on so many mm -hmm. levels. But Drinking infant blood. Connected to this, yeah, exactly. It connected to this religion, to things like the uh, Illuminati and secret, secret, dangerous societies. Wow, it just played to people's deepest fears, but also to those uh, desires to find some coherence in the in the world that had a spiritual and religious component to it. All of that crazy crashed when what was supposed to happen the promised day didn't. And as I understand it right now, QAnon is bifurcating between those who are saying, oh my God, is this all a hoax? Why didn't this happen? They're questioning this faith that they had developed. And then there's others who are looking for a new way to continue it, uh, to find some other explanation. I even heard that for some QAnon followers, it's like, aha, no, Joe Biden is the actual <laughs> savior, which I don't know how they'll... They'll square. They'll square that. These are. This is a. This is a cult that has, has lost its way, and I wonder what can be done to reintegrate those people back into more of a mainstream society and help them heal their damaged psyches. I. I, I can't begin to say. To me, one of them has to do with coming back to a sense of truth. Well, one of the amazing things is that a number of QAnon followers have been. Uh, elected to uh, f local and to federal offices. Uh, we have a couple of, of members, I think maybe more than a couple, uh, in Congress who are believers. So this, uh, 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 lots of people had to vote them into office. 
even non-believers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I think we have no real sense. How do you have sense? It, it doesn't show up in the census, right? <laughs> the real mm -hmm. sense of how widespread this is. And um, it's also not easy to have somebody who's fallen into a cult like QAnon to deprogram, to rehumanize them, to bring them back out of it. Um, we need to get a handle on this as as a as a nation. Um, it was disturbing to see all the different groups, not just QAnon, but maybe a, a half dozen more, these small splinter groups that are connected with, um, you, you know, pernicious forms of nationalism or, uh, or, or or racism. Their insignia there in the capital when the um, the attempted insurrection was taking place. There's a lot of work to do, cleaning this up. Is one person's truth the next person's fake news? Huh. Um, if I can come back to the small t truth. Please. Most things can be clearly said, this is what seems true. This is what is obviously true. What you had for breakfast, um, how many votes were submitted, uh, what the processes were that protected the integrity of those votes, whether there's a virus and what are its symptoms. Some of these things it takes science a while to figure out. Science does And whether there are fires burning in the this. fires burning in the West, destructive hurricanes in the it, Southeast, exactly. racially motivated exactly. police killings. Uh, some people yeah, deny exactly. all of those things as as uh, being based on anything other than just a coincidence. Exactly. And what's happened is people have gotten it into their head that they can deny reality based on their values and their sense of how the world is. Now, people have always been tempted to do that, but Trump not only normalized it, he became the self-deceiver in chief. He deceived himself. He said, no, that's fake news. I just don't believe it. I don't want it to be so. And then lived as if it wasn't. And I think that mindset actually infected a lot of people who became not just people who voted for him, not just supporters, but followers, right, mm -hmm. we, we, we've spoken of. So that mindset is, is one that is resistant to reality. And um, we have to be cautious that that's not something people are going to let go of easily. They're you write about him. The reality of Trump leaving. There's probably not too many people who still believe Trump is in the White House today. <laughs> Those would be seriously deluded ones. You, uh, you write about emotional reasoning. Is that what we're talking about here? Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and, and the reality is we all do that to some extent in our own lives. We all tend to want the things, want the things to be true that we want, right? And it's easy for us to sort through the evidence and find evidence that only agrees with what we want to be true and dismiss evidence that, that doesn't. That, of course, is the opposite of what science does, but it's, it's human nature. So a big part of the book Pro-Truth is talking about the many cognitive biases that can easily distort our sense of reality, help make us more resistant to the ones that are being fed to us by politicians, if they're lying, but also give us a... Um, more confidence in what it can take to be able to sort out what's really true from what we might want to be true, but is not true. Frankly, that's the definition of being an adult. Can vagueness be as damaging as blatant lying? Ah, thank you. You're referring now to the, um, the list of lies that we have in chapter one, yes. nine lies that politicians like to tell. And indeed, um, Vagueness can be damaging, but to explain a little more thoroughly, vagueness is when politicians say something that's hard to really nail down. Like my platform will um, will 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 really increase the well-being of our nation. Um, we'll make America great again. That's a super example of something that's vague. What does it really mean? Can it be accomplished or not? There's no ultimate way you can tell. So people can be drawn to it without it actually being a deliverable, if, if you like. Blatant lying, on the other hand, is, well, the big lie. It's a politician who says something that is just clearly, obviously, patently false, like 
there was massive electoral fraud, despite the fact that 49 of the 50 cases that, that Trump supporters brought against various election results were thrown out of court. Now, That's Hitler... An example of a big lie. Hitler coined yeah. the phrase, the big lie. And, and Germany and Italy were democracies before fascist leaders rose to power in the 1930s. Um, so uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that some people saw signs of fascism in what was happening in this country. Yes, absolutely. Um, the, the big lie is a constant threat to democracy, and any politician who does it and does it successfully will certainly do it again and again. Hence, as you pointed out, what started with birtherism uh, gave us the Trump uh, inauguration, led to this fire hose of lies. So you have to watch out that for any politician who's ready to try to sell us a, a big lie. As to fascism, um, there's been so much talk over the last few years. Do you call Trump fascist? Is he fascist? Is he not? I think that's one of the problems with putting a label uh, on, on something that is more big T territory than small T territory when you're labeling someone uh, in, a, in a group. I, I will say one of the most insightful things that I read on, on fascism and, and Trump is people were saying, but Trump's policies aren't fascist. And the response to that was someone who said, well, Mussolini, when he first came to power, was asked, what are your policies? And he responded, my policy is to break the bones of anyone who opposes me. Ooh. And that reveals something about fascism is easy to forget. It's all about power and the abuse of power, power over the other. So instead of fascism, how about authoritarianism? Because we have seen some examples of calls for authoritarianism recently, not just among the, uh, the crazy groups like QAnon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think um, uh, authoritarianism is particularly natural at a time when people feel uncertainty or fear or that they are under attack. And Trump, by constantly feeding a narrative of uh, fear of immigrants, fear of black people, uh, fear of other nations uh, who don't have the U.S.'s interests at heart, whether it's Iran or, or, or North Korea. Uh, feeding fear makes people long for a leader who will protect them. And uh, so that is how I believe Trump has been stoking the authoritarian tendencies that have risen throughout his presidency. But he, he received he, 74 he, million he votes. Of fear. He received yes. 74 million yes, votes. Exactly. Well, that's right. We're going to take a little break here. Uh, this is Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Okay. Well, before we get back to my conversation with Tim Ward, I'd like to take a moment to ask you to step up and show your support for this show and, and the station that brings it to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. And the way to do that is by calling right now, 516-620-3602, or by going online to give to WBAI.org. Becoming a sustaining member of the station, what we call a BAI buddy, is one great way to support us without having to lay out a lot of money at any one time. And I am excited to announce that we have a special offer for anyone who becomes a BAI buddy in the name of London Lopez at Large during today's show. If you call 516-620-3602 or go to give2wbai.org right now and, and sign up to become a sustaining member, we'd be happy to send you a free copy of the book that we've been discussing, Pro-Truth, Practical Plan for Putting Truth Back into Politics by Gleb Sapersky and my guest, Tim Ward. All you have to do is call right now, 516-620-3602, 
or go to give2wbai.org on your computer or, or your smartphone and sign up at the tax-deductible monthly amount of $10, $15, whatever you're comfortable with to be taken out of your credit card, your debit card, or whatever is easiest for you. And that's it. We'll take care of the rest. You can cancel at any time and you don't even need to tell the person at the WBAI call center about the book or check any additional boxes online. Just sign up to become a BAI buddy in the name of Leonard Lopate at large and my staff will make sure that you get the book. But however you con contribute, the important thing is that you do your part by stepping up and supporting this show and this legendary radio station, the only station on New York Radio that's completely listener-sponsored without corporate underwriting or funding grants of any kind. And that's the truth. We don't run any ads or corporate marketing spots. So one last time, the number to call is 516-620-3602 or go to give2wbai.org and please be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And from all of us at the station to all of you, thank you so much. Um, we're back with my guest, Tim Ward, co-author with Gleb Zapersky of Pro-Truth, a practical plan for putting truth back into politics. And it is published by Changemakers Books. Um, you, you mentioned uh, social media, major spreaders of untruths these days. Yes. Hasn't it been amazing to see... Uh, the reports coming out that misinformation has fallen by about 75% since Trump was kicked off Twitter and other social mm -hmm. media platforms. To me, the, the question that raises, though, is what went on that a few executives determined that he could stay on while he was spreading misinformation, some of it lethal, right? People died in the, the COVID pandemic because they were listening to the kinds of misinformation being spread about how, how you don't have to take the virus seriously, right? He, so how is it you quote him. Corporate he, decision. Yeah. You quote him. He said, it's going to disappear. One day, it's like a miracle. It will disappear. And he said that, uh, well, among other things, he also said about climate change, global warming is a total and very expensive hoax. Uh, he said yep. that... Uh, he, he uh, before the election, he said that mail-in ballots will lead to massive electoral fraud and a rigged 2020 election. And yet he got 74 million votes. OK, let's get back to social media. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just thought right. those details were really interesting. They, they, they are. So, so why is it that we have, in a sense, allowed a small number of executives at these at these platforms to decide when enough is is enough. I think they did the right thing in cutting him off. I just wish they'd done it years earlier. And how is this made on a case-by-case -case basis? I mean, I really think this should be a moment of reckoning for social media platforms and those of us who use them and hence give them their, their strength and power, that they need standards and, uh, and they need some better way of serving the citizens of a country rather than making judgments that seem more driven by profit and but, traffic. But critics say that this is an infringement on people's rights to free speech. Well, that so when is, is free speech question? Yeah, 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 when is free speech not allowable? Uh, if it's just a matter of lies, I mean, if if I were to, to lie to somebody and say, uh, I really enjoyed your party. Uh, that's not really a problem. Well, and yet, you know, we all we all know the, the saying that, you know, free speech doesn't mean you can yell fire in a crowded movie theater. Yeah, unless so, there's a fire. Um, so how similar is saying pandemic, don't worry, it'll go away in the midst of a raging pandemic? Isn't that really somewhat equivalent and isn't twitter somewhat like the movie theater here it's got a crowd of people in it whose actions are going to be shaped by an influential voice that's speaking a lie i, I don't have a clear answer here i, I think um, social media has developed so fast and become so pervasive that we haven't yet found a way to 
become discriminating between truth and lie, especially those of those people who have taken to social media so that it feeds what they want to hear as opposed to it gives information about how the world is. I'm not passing a judgment there. I'm just saying that's what I think a lot of people are using it for. And so it has become weaponized. I think it's dangerous, and I think we need to do something about it. And I think that the leaders of social media organizations are coming to terms with that. I spoke not too long ago um, with the, uh, the founder of a fascinating thing called the Trusted Web. And he's working on developing a blockchain-like technology that can help you trace back any piece of information that comes to you on social media to its source. Uh, and this would be a way that, that uh, those who set up algorithms like Google and other and, and social media platforms to see whether or not the source is actually reliable because so much information can test out there, we really don't even know the source that it comes from. So there are you, things that people are doing that are working to make these kinds of big changes. You suggest sharing your fact-checking online, but will that have much of an impact on people who don't want to be bothered by the facts? No, it'll have an impact on people for whom truth matters or who have a sense of social responsibility that they want to carry with them online. And it's very important that those people get out there and start to demonstrate what the practice of truth in social media is like. I call this cleansing your bubble, right? <laughs> you have to demonstrate what it, what it is to recognize misinformation, to not spread it, and to warn others when they encounter misinformation. If we each cleanse your bubble, we'll get a cleaner bathtub. <laughs> If you'll pardon the metaphor. Uh, but most people won't do that. So it's not just enough to do that. You need to provide both incentives for people to be truthful in what they post and powerful disincentives for people to mindlessly spread whatever comes across their desk and sounds inflammatory. To some degree, that's, is that's it? something that there needs to be workable. Yeah. Isn't the source a major factor here, whether uh, it seems to come from someone of, of authority? For example, one of the last acts of the Trump administration, uh, it came after your book was published, was the release of a report by an 18-member presidential 1776 commission. Uh, it's an attack on liberal thought and activism that calls for a patriotic, patriotic education and defends America's founding against charges that it was tainted by slavery, uh, likens progressivism to fascism. Now, this is coming from the Trump administration. Yeah, so this is, um, this is taking propaganda to uh, Soviet Union levels, right? Um, in, instilling it into our education system. It says uh, we need to a new pro-American curriculum in our schools. Yeah, that's frightening. That's frightening. Well, our schools are a source mm -hmm. of what we, we know and don't know as well. And I suspect that uh, over the years of my education, I was fed a, a fair amount of falsehoods, maybe inadvertent mm -hmm. at the time. Yep, yep. Uh, inadvertent or, you, you know, and some, I, I, a good friend of mine grew up in Oklahoma. She said that uh, all through her entire education, uh, slavery was never something that they they studied. It was as if it didn't happen hmm. in uh, her her education, in the educational system she grew up in. So it's not like this is new, but this is a new effort, right? And thank God we have a, a change in government, and that's not going to happen. So how can the spreaders of fake news and half-truths be incentivized to begin to be more honest? Uh, the easy way to start is to provide disincentives for it. Um, social media has made a good start by flagging posts that are mistruthful. I think they need to go further and suspend accounts. Um, where people are chronically spreading mistruth. I mean, there's whole industries, right, that have been set up, people who are just churning out deliberately manufactured misinformation of the kind specifically tooled to deceive people for po political ends or just sometimes just to mess with them, right? That 
that's an industry that I think needs to be shut down. To, to track it and shut it down may seem to go against free speech, except the industry is built on, uh, on, mis, on misinformation. It's not even pretending to speak freely, to speak truly. It's selling lies. And, you know, we need to, we need to confront that, we need to address it, and we need to find ways not just to have the people who run our social media engines, but have the engines, the algorithms themselves, retooled to be able to spot and weed out this kind of pernicious falsehood. Sure, you're always going to get some, some, but we can do much, much better than we're doing now. We haven't really even started. My guest is Tim Ward, co-author with Gleb Sapersky of Pro-Truth, A Practical Plan for Putting Truth Back into Politics. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Leonard Lopate, and the show is called Leonard Lopate at Large. Um, isn't there a problem that uh, so you, you even note, science does not hold any of its truths to be absolute? So uh, isn't part of the problem that uh, truths aren't absolute or, or are some absolutes? You know, um, the, the big T truths, I think we hold them as true points for ourselves. But that's different than absolute as you, as you mean it here. There may be absolute truths about the universe. I believe we're... we're, we're well, the we're, earth goes around the sun, for example. Absolutely. Uh, the sun, of course, is also in motion in our Milky Way galaxy, mm-hmm. right? in our Milky Way, um, our Milky Way galaxy is part of a larger cluster. The actual movement of the Earth is not a circle at all. If you look at it from outside mm-hmm. the, the galaxy, it's uh, a bunch of different orbits all being calculated at once. So that's where perspective does does matter. Um, is the Earth uh, hanging from a, from heaven on a golden chain, <laughs> as uh, the pre-scientific Christian uh, theologians describes it. No, we can be pretty sure that that's not the, the case. But there are still people who call themselves flat earthers, right? There's still people who call themselves flat earthers. There are people who believe whatever they want. So the, the question is. What can we know to the best of our knowledge? And I have to say here, I think it's important to leave room for, a, for some humility. Our brains were not designed to know absolute truth. Our brains were designed to survive and thrive in the African savanna, and they've adapted as we've moved on and we develop more and more complex societies. So. Uh, it's not surprising that we are prone to certain cognitive biases because our brains weren't built to get us around those. We didn't need them to survive. Now we're trying to use a primitive tool of survival on the savanna to discover the nature of the universe. I think it's an amazing thing that we have evolved our awareness to the point where we can pose those questions. But we shouldn't expect that the answers will easily fall into place. The universe may always ultimately be mysterious to us. We may get better and better models that help us more clearly understand the nature of the universe, the nature of our own existence. Things like DNA, um, things like the sheer scope and scale of the universe, you know, blow our tiny little minds. And we should expect that this is going to be a continuing journey for quite some time. Even the fact that our consciousness asks questions about our consciousness ought to be mind-blowing. And um, I've learned in my 60-odd years to accept the journey is worth worth it, even though the odds of getting any of those big T answers is not. In the meantime, the small T question will help us govern ourselves well and keep us from turning against one another on our humble little path across the planet. You have referred to the pro-truth pledge. What is that? So my co-author, Gleb Spursky, is the one who developed this. He developed a set of 12 
behaviors that one can adopt which will help prevent the spread of lies on social media and will help us clean our bubbles. These 12 behaviors, anybody can go online at the protruthpledge.org website, read them. If you agree with them, if they align with your values, you can sign the pledge with a click. And then you can practice that pledge. You, you, you've, you've contracted with yourself to practice that pledge. And it will improve how you behave. I speak that from, from personal experience. It also will make you more ready to accept people who might want to critique or question something that you've posted. It makes you more curious about things that you thought were true but might in fact be false. And it encourages you to spread good practices to others, both by encouraging your friends to not post misinformation and also praising your foes if they point out something that you've posted is incorrect. Not only is this something individuals can do, I'm very proud to say that over a thousand elected officials have also signed the pledge, committing themselves to not spreading information. For politicians, that means not lying. If you post something and it turns out to be misinformed, taking it down, correcting your errors, it's a big step to making have, us more accountable to the truth. And have people of all political persuasions signed on? Yes, indeed. In fact, from the get-go, Gleb and, and now myself as a board member, want to make sure that this is not just nonpartisan, but seen as transpartisan, that every party has a stake in truth as part of American democracy. And one of the, um, one of the big supporters of this uh, pledge when, when it first got going was Felicia Winfrey Cravens, who's the founder of the Houston Tea Party. We've got lots of state-level representatives from both parties who signed it. And this fall, uh, we got our first um, sitting member of um, the House of Representatives who's Republican to sign it. So we've now got bipartisan signers in the National House. There are six Democrats who've signed it and one Republican who signed it thus far. We want to encourage people of both parties to sign this pledge and become accountable to their constituents and to the nation for telling people who elected them the truth. I can think of any number of politicians who would be very reluctant to sign this pledge. Yes, and I've even spoken to, to some uh, political staffers of politicians I respect who were kind of cagey about like, well, I don't know if we would <laughs> mm -hmm. that the, uh, the congressman would really go that, that far and it would really be to their advantage. So this is something that it's a good behavior. The incentives that have been created in the Pro-Truth Pledge are if you've signed it, people know they can expect honesty from you. If you're in an election and you've signed it and your opponent has it, people can say, well, why has, your, why has this person not signed the pledge? So there's a reason to vote for somebody who's making a public pledge that they will speak the truth. Uh, so a thousand politicians, 1,100 other public yeah. figures, yeah. Yeah. It's well, a good that's start. It's, it's got to be a lot more than this, but it's a good start. So, um, you know, I would encourage anybody to go to the website, read about it. You can see the list of people who've, uh, of the, of the public figures who've, who've signed it. Please read it for yourself. Again, it's protruthpledge.org. Um, also, other public figures uh, uh, from all, all across the political spectrum have signed on. That's what we want. We want everybody to see we've all got a stake in truth. I'm hoping that Josh Hawley is listening to this show. <laughs> yes, and I hope he takes a look at this, and I hope that he thinks seriously about whether or not he's spreading truth or he's telling people what he thinks they want to hear because it will improve his electability. Now, we have just... Encouraged. We have just about a minute and a half or so more. Anything you want to add before I uh, say goodbye? Yeah, I would like to say for, for everybody who really rejoiced in the election of Biden and the election of a Democratic majority in both the House and the Senate, now is the time to hold your party accountable. It's all too easy when you won to not... Um, to, to relax 
vigilance. But no matter what the party is, politicians are tempted to lie. They're tempted to spin the truth. So hold those you favor to to the highest standard. And hold Joe Biden and everybody he's working with to this, as he said yesterday, defend the truth, defeat the lies. I think that would be a fabulous slogan for all Americans and something that perhaps we could all come to agree on now. Now that the Republicans are the party out of power, they may be much more ready to fight something that they think is a is a lie. So let's figure out what's truth, what's well, lies. I'm a, I'm a witness to all of this. I'm a witness to all of this because uh, a previous employer lied about me when it let me uh, go. And uh, that stays with me, despite the fact that uh, the lie has been exposed many times. So anyway, thank you so much for being uh, on our show. Tim Ward, co-author with Gleb Sapersky, T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y, of Pro-Truth, A Practical Plan for Putting Truth Back into Politics. It is published by Changemakers Books. Thank you again. It's been my pleasure. And to your listeners, I thank them all for being uh, part of, of your show. This is a great, this is great radio. It's wonderful to have deep, in-depth discussions like this. And I so appreciate, uh, Leonard, the, um, the, the time and the, the depth that, that you brought uh, oh. to this conversation, the opportunity for me to share what I have. Well, thank you again. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you're new to our program and would like to hear more, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes or anywhere podcasts are available. And there are links to our past shows on our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to write me, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I'd like to take just one last minute to ask you for your support for this station. If you care about Leonard Lopez at Lodge and all the great programs on BAI, we need your help keep it alive during these very challenging times. Please step up right now and make a contribution by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602 to show your support at whatever level you're comfortable giving. And as I mentioned at the half, if you become a BAI buddy during today's show by making a monthly contribution in the name of London Lopate at Large, we'd be delighted to send you a copy of Pro-Truth, a practical plan for putting truth back into politics by my guest Tim Ward is our way of saying thanks. But please be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And and thank you so much. Uh, We are off for the next couple of days, but I hope you can join us on Tuesday when journalist Craig Unger will discuss his new book called American Compromata with a K, How the KGB Cultivated Donald Trump and Related Tales of Sex, Greed, Power, and Treachery. We'll see you then.